Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Violence against women is dominating the news in Kazakhstan. A woman was killed in a restaurant by her husband, another woman raped by a police chief, and one young woman has gone public with her story of being raped by a security guard at a nightclub and subsequent dealings with police who pressured her to drop her complaint against her attacker. This is only the tip of the iceberg. The UN reports on average 400 women are killed by their husbands or male partners annually in Kazakhstan. Human Rights Watch released a report on October 9th urging Kyrgyzstan to criminalize domestic violence. The report included a call from a member of Kyrgyzstan's parliament, Amantai Jarkinbek, that if a woman's husband is sentenced to 15 days of administrative arrest for domestic violence, then, quote, it follows that his wife should be detained, too, for, quote, provoking the abuse, unquote. How bad is the situation with violence against women in Kazakhstan? And what can be done to correct the abuse against potentially 10 million of the country's citizens? To discuss all this, I am joined by Halid Ajigulova, a lawyer and international consultant on prevention of sexualized exploitation and abuse, Svetlana Zardanova, human rights and corruption researcher at Freedom for Eurasia and associate at the Central Asian Institute for Strategic Studies, Janar Sekervayeva, co-founder of Kazakhstan feminist initiative Feminita, with a focus on lesbian, bisexual, queer, and trans women's rights. She has a PhD in social science, and I'm happy to also add that she's a power lifter and a poet. So, Halida, I'm going to start with you. First, can you kind of give us, so we have the background here, can you give us a description of, of the some of the problems with women's rights and how many women are affected by this? Well, I would say that the problem with uh, violence against women and uh, girls and children in general is quite a big issue in Kazakhstan. And of course, it didn't start yesterday. It's uh, a quite long-lasting issue. And uh, as an expert and uh, researcher, I have been raising this issue with our government, uh, the presidential administration since uh, 2019. And unfortunately, we see that there is a lot of resistance from the official authorities to change anything to improve uh, the protection mechanisms uh, for any person in the country against violence, to criminalize domestic violence, and generally to make uh, Kazakhstan a safe country for any person. And just recently, in the over just the last two weeks, our country was shocked by a series of very gruesome and violent attacks on women. So we had incidents of uh, violent rape, uh, violent uh, murder uh, as part of uh, domestic violence. We also read uh, stories and shocking news about the rape of minors by alleged police officers. And uh, these are just uh, some of the recent examples just over the last uh, two weeks. And I think we reached this peak, uh, this boiling point, uh, boiling point in our society when people just don't want to ignore this issue anymore. It's impossible to ignore this issue any longer. And right now we see that we kind of have a wave of a Me Too movement in Kazakhstan when more men and women, they start shaming, naming and shaming those people who have been engaged in violence and those who close their eyes to violence and try to uh, advocate on behalf of alleged perpetrators. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. Um, Janarka, could you uh, add to that a little bit? I mean, what, you know, and, and speak a little bit about some of these cases. Halida mentioned that there's been some cases in the news recently. Can you kind of explain for our audience uh, a little bit more about these cases? 
Yeah, what I would like to stress that in Kazakhstan, actually, we can see, unfortunately, the tendency of the phenomena, uh, which is in Kazakhstan is not, you know, recognized. This phenomena called femicide, when uh, it is a crime against women based on that they are women. So we have femicide, uh, I think 20, 30 years we were speaking about that. Not only we are maybe the young generation of feminists and activists, but also women who started feminist women's uh, movement in Kazakhstan. I remember, for example, Margarita Uskimbaeva who started that movement, or uh, Svetlana Shakirova, or Evgenia Kazarova, or Zulfia Baisakova. They ring a bell many, many years ago. And now we can see how only one shocking case or okay two, and of course I recognize they're very shocking and we have to react. But as Khalida said, it didn't happen yesterday. We had that. And our presidents, two presidents, they was not doing anything regarding this. Although all women's movement were reporting again and again with anxiety, with the big uh, horror statistics that you have to stop as a president of the country or the person who has power to give uh, orders to your staff that this femicide should be prevented. But nobody did care. Nobody. And now we see people who decided, okay, I will speak about that cases. And Dina Tansari was playing crucial role in the Nimalchiki Z, this is the movement that started in Ukraine, uh, Nimagu Skazati. It's like the prototype or was Ukrainian movement, but it was very essential that women decided to speak. It is not like we did not have any crimes against women based on violence, but women just started to speak and report and uh, publicize this these cases. Because if you see in these cases, they're very, very different. There are a lot happening at workplace, happening in university, happening at streets, happening in family, at home. Because, you know, our traditional, as you can say, values, uh, they are always prospered by uh, our government. They say traditional family should be cherished by, by us and by society. And what we see, how traditional families kill themselves, are especially killing women. And also raping women, raping not only women, but raping also children, their own children. Isn't it uh, something that you should be worried about many, many years ago? Yes, you should have done it before. And now it seems for me like a last, last loud calls. Oh, we recognize this problem now. Yes, at last. At last, because we see shocking photo, we saw uncles and mothers and fathers' uh, recollection. Why? Why we did not pay attention to that many years ago when we had time to prevent that? This is for me that make me furious. You had all feminist, very strong movement. Now, it, um, including LBQT activists like me, and we were shouting about these cases, but nobody listened to. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Svetlana, uh, you know, when I'm listening to Janara, I'm hearing, you know, even echoes of things that we've heard in Kyrgyzstan, too, that it's part of the mentality of the, of the country, for, for better or for worse, in this case, without a doubt. It's hard to get around 
the way society has been dealing with these pro- problems for years. What do you think about that in the context of what's been happening in Kazakhstan recently? Thank you, Bruce, and thank you for having me today with Khalida and Janar, who's uh, awareness raising and activist work in Kazakhstan. I really appreciate. Thank you for um, the question. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, the question of why society and the law legislation fails women uh, is a complex question. And I was wondering, is it uh, the lack of data? Is it the lack of voices following the situation in Kazakhstan? And uh, I actually can say no uh, to both of this, but it's definitely uh, the lack of uh, good laws. And uh, when laws are in places, they're poor implementation It's the lack of training of the key protection and um, uh, service providers. Uh, On the top of that, I think it's the lack of interest from the state and its lack of political will to change things for the better in the country, for the country's health population. And you rightly mentioned it's like 10 million, more than 10 million people. And these people cannot feel safe uh, on the streets. They cannot feel safe in public spaces. And most importantly, in their own homes. And we usually say that the system is broken when we see that uh, survivors of uh, violence or victims' relatives, they really need to appeal to country's leaders to help. But I think uh, the system is not broken. I think it's exactly the system. The existing laws, they leave women, uh, women alone with their abusers. And actually... Yes, it is now the momentum uh, for uh, for pushing the uh, a better version of uh, of the law to protect women in Kazakhstan. But I also very very much agree with uh, Janar that what have you been doing all those years? I mean, women are killed in Kazakhstan every day, and statistics shows that it's like about four hundred uh, women a year meaning more than one woman is killed like on daily basis in Kazakhstan. It's like, it's a crazy uh, statistics. Of course, I am really fascinated that uh, the Kazakh uh, women from civil society, they keep fighting. They don't uh, let their hands down. They understand, well, they do a difficult and dangerous job because frontline activists are also targets of public and state violence themselves. So I really salute all the women uh, that are doing this job right now. And I see that what happens exactly in the moment is that women try to kind of name and shame those who either close or avert their eyes from this issue. And they actually push their men to uh, become vocal on, on the issue. And I know uh, Halida had an event really recently on that. Right, Halida? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you, Svetlana. And then we go to Halida then. Um, first, I think we might have got a little ahead of ourselves here in the conversation. Uh, for the sake of our audience, who maybe are not, are not following uh, news in Kazakhstan as closely as us, can you explain uh, what happened to uh, Sultanat Nukenova? Yes, uh, so let me give you some of the details. Um, Indeed, last week, uh, Kazakhstan was shocked uh, to hear news that a young woman, uh, her name is Sultanat Nukenova, allegedly was brutally killed uh, by her husband. And 
the story about the husband, uh, that was uh, the main thing that actually drew the attention of all the people in Kazakhstan because uh, the alleged perpetrator, is, uh, his name is uh, Bishambayev, Kuantik Bishambayev, and um, he is a s- so-called representative of, kind of, uh, of a so-called kind of golden youth. The youth uh, who the, who were born in wealthy families uh, with big political influence, Kwandek Bishambayev, according to his bio, he he's the son of one of the rectors of uh, big regional universities, and at a quite early age he became an advisor to the president of Kazakhstan, the first president. He also worked as a minister of economy, quite young one, and he was also heading uh, some of the largest. Uh, national corporations in Kazakhstan, which which were holding a lot of wealth, like nation fund, national sovereign fund. And uh, already uh, a few years ago, uh, Mr. Bishambayev was already accused and he was uh, convicted uh, for quite serious uh, corruption crime. And he actually was sentenced to 10 years in prison and in 2018. So he was supposed to be in prison now until 2028. But he uh, appealed to the president uh, back in 2019, asked for his pardon, and then eventually he was in prison just for two years. And then he was released. He was released. And that's why the people of Kazakhstan were shocked that basically if this man were uh, in prison, as he should have been, then this um, horrible murder would not have happened. And uh, that's why uh, there is a lot of attention to this case. But also another big uh, thing which drew the attention is that right after the incident, uh, some quite popular bloggers in Kazakhstan, they started writing posts about uh, with some alleged facts, alleged um, details of the crime. And uh, people realized that there is a, a, apparently an attempt to say that, uh, you know, Mr. Bishambayev uh, has nothing to do with the murder, that actually it was not a murder at all, uh, that allegedly uh, killed woman. She was just, she just, you know, she was fine and she just went to sleep and then she didn't wake up, you know, and basically they tried to to, to lead the discussion in a way that as if she died uh, when she was sleeping, while she was sleeping. And of course, when uh, we uh, also heard the account of the story from the relatives of the of the murdered woman, we heard some very, very, very terrible and horrific details that, for example, she lost her eye and that she had some serious wounds in her head, over her body, on, on her back. And that's uh, when we had this public outcry that people didn't want uh, this to happen, that uh, an alleged perpetrator, an alleged uh, murderer would get away from any uh, punishment. And uh, that's why there's a lot of public attention to the case. Okay, thank you. Um, Janar, I'm going to ask you this question. I I follow, uh, of course, uh, Irina Matvienko, and she's Nemal Chiuz. And she wrote just a couple days ago that the resonance, the resonance on such news is higher if the violence is committed by state officials. And she says that she never met such a level of resonance if the crime was committed by ordinary people. This is more about distrust of the state and not about intolerance for violence. In the case of Bishan do you think that's true? Yeah, um, when in Kazakhstan, unfortunately, uh, society and uh, actually the state officials themselves, they started to pay attention if, for example, uh, they are their colleagues who are doing that kind of crime or violence because it becomes more resonance. 
And of, of course, I do not uh, share that kind of shock. I mean, of course, I'm shocked, but it is not fair to ordinary woman to, for example, my mom, my aunt, or my sister, or sisters of many, many women in Kazakhstan, or their mothers, because we are not in the, you know, we are not uh, MP, we are not uh, close to president's family. So when something happens to us, the violence itself, so it means nobody cares. And this is not fair, because if it is violence or if it is a crime based on gender-based violence, sexualized violence, it should be uh, recognized as such. And also it should be given very strict punishment, which we do not see in Kazakhstan for many years. And who paid a big, uh, who played big uh, role in that? I would say anti-gender movement in Kazakhstan, led by Kazakhstani Union of Parents which came with very similar to Russian narrative because they started from anti-vaccination, anti-children's uh, you know, right. They started to say that we do not uh, should have concept of bullying. So they suggested just to bully young uh, children at school. So And then they go to anti-LGBT and then they go to also anti-women's rights agenda. And what we see now, because... We warned uh, state, we warned officials in our public statements that anti-gender anti movement is very, very dangerous because they are spreading, this is, you know, Russian propaganda. Yes, we can call it propaganda. Propaganda against human rights itself in general. We warned because in 2021, I experienced attacks from male mob organized by uh, local committee of uh, national security and also Akimat, our local council, but nobody listened to. So then we have Kandakantar Kantar uh, January events, and now we have all these things that influenced by anti-gender movement. It is the fruits of this work of anti-gender movement, which is spreading their conspiracy. Uh, they are very harming to women's rights, uh, uh, human rights defenders, and all, including Khalida who is today with us, including Dina Tansari, including other brave women who raises the agenda of violence, agenda of discrimination, agenda of protecting children. Uh, so this is, uh, this is a fact. We have this movement that is harming the society. Okay, thank you. Um, Svetlana, I'd love to get your views on that too. Do you find that if a, if a high level or some official is involved, that the attention on this is, is far greater than if it was just an ordinary citizen, a woman who, who wasn't in, it wasn't a state official they were involved with, she doesn't have a post in, in any government post or anything? Are, they, are the, those people just totally forgotten and neglected in these stories compared to uh, someone who's been killed or, or raped by an official? Yeah, that. This is partly true. This is a story of an elite family. It's uh, it's a violence in, in an elite Kaz uh, Kazakh family. And that, of course, got an attention of the whole society because it's a ex-minister. Uh, and I really see here some similarities with what we see in Kyrgyzstan. And whenever it is people from law enforcement agencies or uh, someone close to the government, then we see more reaction in, in, in the society and more outcry, like public outcry in the society. And what happens in Kazakhstan is that I follow uh, at the moment. Uh, it uh, can be 
uh, part of the story. But uh, another part of the story is uh, that the cases of violence are so repeating and we see so many of them in in the recent uh, weeks that as Halida said um, maybe the society reached the boiling point and they now um, kind of demand uh, some changes from the government and yes uh, this uh, kind can be some parts of the society that uh, push a different agenda anti-human rights agenda some traditionalist agenda but on many of these cases i think we can really uh, we should really spotlight the government's attempts uh, to either do something or uh, to sweep something under the uh, the carpet. Uh, and that's what the Kazakh government has been doing for so many years. And the Kazakh legislation that actually uh, humanized some of the articles on domestic violence and on some of the beatings, it's now moved, it has been moved from the criminal code to administrative code and it can, uh, and punished, uh, not by prison terms, but by fines and, uh, detention up to 10, 15 days. I mean, women really do not feel protected and they see the moment right now to demand better protection. And I, I have seen that the president was asked to kind of uh, get this uh, exact case under control and also to take some other measures to change the legislation. And I really hope that this really gruesome case will have an effect of uh, changing uh, the situation in, in Kazakhstan for all women and actually children, because recent cases of uh, children under attack, like rape um, in school, even in schools, uh, like our children are not safe. So I, I really uh, hope that this is a turning point for, uh, for women in Kazakhstan. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, and a reminder, we're talking about violence against women in Kazakhstan and what could be done to prevent it. And my guest star Svetlana Zardanova, human rights and corruption researcher at Freedom for Eurasia and associate at the Central Asia Institute for Strategic Studies. Janar Sekarbayeva, co-founder of Kazakhstan's feminist initiative Feminita, with a focus on lesbian, bisexual, queer, and trans women's rights. And she also has a PhD in social sciences. Halida Ajigulova, a lawyer and international consultant on prevention of sexual exploitation and abuse. Um, thanks again for being on the show once again. Janar, I'm going to come to you. We've got this this case that's come up too. This young woman's name is, is so far we only know her as Old Jean. She was raped by the security guard at a nightclub at Knife Point. And the security guard actually videotaped it. And she made a complaint about it. And now here we are in November. And she's still, still saying police have been reluctant and slow to investigate the case. In fact, I think one one time she said that the police had actually tried to pressure her to drop the case and said that she shouldn't worry because they'll make sure that, that her attacker deletes the video so he couldn't use it to blackmail her in the future. What does this say about police response to sexual assault? Uh, our, our police actually doesn't care. They're very ignorant. They do not care about their public image. And their public image is... You know, it's like the floor, ground floor. They are not caring about what they say, how they publish their press release or any statement. Uh, actually, they are needing uh, the whole reformation. I suggested with my colleagues many years ago, all policemen that we have now should go to retirement. That's, that's it. We're ready to pay them their pension. And we should hire 
young women and young men who are from the new generation, people who really care about gender violence, about, you know, any kind of crime that can happen in Kazakhstan. Because this generation of men who is in the system, they are already get used to the system violence and they are covering many, many crimes. All we see is how... Uh, the victim or the person who suffered from uh, uh, violence and also including rapes, that they are saying, we just can cite here, that policemen, they are saying that they do not care about investigation of the rape. How you can hear these words, how it can support you if you are already experienced that amount, that horrific amount of violence. So just imagine, this staff is not sensitive. This staff is not receiving any trainings. So I'm really shocked how they work in police, how they wake up, see themselves in the mirror, eat their breakfast and go to work. I really do not understand these people because they are not working, because they are harming these victims, they are harming women, they are harming children. And then maybe in the end, they are harming men. But what I see, they are in solidarity with the men who are doing harassment, who are doing rapes, who are doing uh, all kinds of crime. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, Halida, I want to ask you about the, the same question, but can we also, I also want to um, add the, uh, the case in, in Taldi Gorgan. It's not even a case of police compliance or neglect or something. In Taldi Gorgan, the police chief, whose name is Marat Kushtibayev, uh, actually raped a 27-year-old woman who was in the police station and, and he had her brought to the office. What, what is, it, again, this, the question is, what does this say about the police? And, and what does this say to women if, if you are the victim of a crime, uh, of a gender-based crime? Uh, who can you turn to? I mean, the police are supposed to be the ones that are protecting you. You know, Bruce, this is another very big issue, such as violence uh, perpetrated by police officers themselves. And uh, I, in particular, have been raising this issue for several years. Almost two years ago, I sent my recommendations to the president of Kazakhstan on the reform of police, because I knew about many of these incidents when police officers harassed and sexually abused their colleagues, their female colleagues. Uh, and female police officers themselves, they complained to me that one of the reasons why they had to quit their job is because uh, they were harassed by their fellow police uh, colleagues uh, the, uh, and they couldn't get any support from their, uh, from their supervisors. And uh, that's why I realized that uh, sexual harass, sexualized harassment, sexualized abuse within the police forces is a very big issue that not only prevents uh, women, the most talented police women, to get to the top uh, in the Ministry of Interior, but also uh, this is a big risk to the public to female, uh, in particular to women who approach the police who, and also, uh, for example, women who ask for some assistance from police, but also for women who may be accused of some uh, crimes and um, offenses. And unfortunately, in this particular case, which is absolutely atrocious, uh, such as uh, alleged rape uh, of a young woman by the chief of police, and um, and we know that at the moment the police, uh, the chief police officer has been arrested uh, for further investigation. This is uh, absolutely 
horrible. And uh, I would say that, uh, in particular, apart from the systemic reforms of police, we need to inform, to raise the, we need to raise the awareness of our uh, people in general, how to communicate with police officers. And I also would like to note that not only it is dangerous for women to communicate with police officers, but also for men. Because unfortunately, we do have some reports that uh, male applicants, uh, they can be also sexually abused by uh, police officers when they are detained or when they're brought for interrogation and so on. So here I would like to say that uh, two mostly needed reforms is, first of all, we need, in my view, we need to change up to 95% of staff of the police forces in Kazakhstan. And this was uh, uh, my recommendation uh, to the president. And I recommended that this should be this reform should be implemented over two, three years. So the change would be gradual. And we really need to bring new people uh, to the police, new people who don't have any connection or any bad reputation uh, with uh, corruption, with past crimes. People who would be new, you know, who would not be spoiled uh, by the system. And this is a very big thing if we want to raise uh, the trust uh, from the public to to the authorities, to the police. And secondly, of course, uh, I recommended that we need to have more women at the senior uh, political decision-making in the Ministry of Interior. Unfortunately, over the last 32 years, we didn't have any woman at the level of the uh, senior leadership in the Ministry of Interior, not a minister or his or her or deputy ministers, uh, head of uh, committees, and also at the territorial level, we never had any women at the leading positions as the chief uh, police officers um, at the territorial level. So that's why all these uh, situations, such as a lack of women's representation, at the uh, leadership positions in the Ministry of Interior and Police, and also the ra- the rise in uh, violence uh, against uh, people committed, perpetrated by police officers, this is a very big uh, correlation, in my view. Okay, thank you. Um, Svetlana, I'd like to get you to follow up on some of this too, since you're, you're the Central Asia researcher. Uh, how big a problem is it that the, the lack of women in, in positions of authority, particularly in the Interior Ministry and the Police Department? I think it's it's a common issue for all Central Asian states that we really like women in decision making uh, positions in uh, in the government. And when, whenever we do have women in such structures, their number is so small that they are kind of pressured by their uh, male colleagues into um, into their own agenda. So until we have enough women in decision making structures, we probably will not see the change because when, whenever it comes to gender-based violence, whenever it comes to gender discrimination and uh, some specific social issues that mainly are covered by women, we won't see any change. And this is a very sad and also the forecast for, for this is not very optimistic that we will have uh, all these women in places uh, to change things. As of now, we see that all the job that government is not doing is done by uh, activists, by a civil society sector. And while they can work with the effect of what we have in place, they cannot actually do anything with the core issues of that. So more and more of what I see in the region is that 
civil society sector is put in in a challenging position of uh, mere survival. Uh, so it's it is also interesting and surprising to see how Central Asian governments are not doing the, their own job and they also prevent uh, civil society from doing uh, the job for them. So uh, as I said earlier, I think it's it's really a problem of political, lack of political will on, on the part of the Kazakh government or Kyrgyz government when it comes to uh, gender issues and specifically gender-based violence. Because traditionally, when we talk about traditions in Central Asia, we speak almost always about uh, respect for for the family, respect for the elders, and respect for uh, women. But it's uh, what we declare and not what we follow when it comes to protecting women, uh, when it comes to opening opportunities uh, for them, um, like in business or in uh, public life or in, in politics. So until we have this in place, I don't see uh, we have any change. And uh, when it comes to law enforcement, it is true that it's so heavily male-dominated do- that the few women that are in the system, they, they cannot change the situation. And we really, really need the reform of of this vital sector for for the protection. Uh, We don't actually work with preventing the violence against women, and we fail them at the the consequences. We also fail them with uh, punishing the perpetrators. And until the reform is done, uh, this is uh, unfortunately what we will continue to see. Excellent. Thank you. And that helps me transition into the, the last section of our show. I have a couple questions and I hope I want to get the responses from each of you. The first is, uh, what needs to change in the law? And I know we've gone over some of this, but, but in your opinion, uh, and I'll start with you, Khalida, what needs to change in the law in Kazakhstan to improve the situation? I would say that the law should be definitely reviewed in terms of um, being redrafted with the human-centered approach. Uh, we still have this issue that uh, the authorities, that members of parliament, uh, when they review or when they consider some piece of legislation relating to human rights, uh, for some reason they never take human rights as a priority. They take as a priority all other types of uh, considerations, economic, political, family, and so on. And I believe that uh, this is really a test test for our authorities, test for our president, members of parliament, if they claim that they want to build um, a new democracy, a new Kazakhstan, they need to, to really change all their approaches. They need to drop all these approaches of the old Kazakhstan, so-called. And uh, really, I would, I would uh, recommend that uh, the authorities would listen more to independent experts, uh, to researchers in human rights who have uh, a strong reputation, who have renowned uh, global reputation. And uh, finally, the authorities, they should turn their face to the people of Kazakhstan and they should uh, show their political will that they are indeed, ha- that they indeed have this zero tolerance uh, to all forms of violence. So um, once we have this in our laws, that uh, h- human life, uh, human dignity is at the center of uh, the laws against domestic violence, then I believe uh, the law will uh, work will work, and will have all important measures on protection of every person in their country against all forms of violence. Thank you. Svetlana, what needs to change in the law? 
Well, as I said, even if we have good laws in place and they are not working, um, nothing is working. So I think the application of the law should be stricter. Um, The government should uh, at least implement the laws that they have in place. There definitely should be consequences for the government officials, for the law enforcement, for not acting on the cases of violence. And as of now, what I see is that we don't see much of the acting on the violent cases. And we see that uh, officials and people in decision-making positions, they actually protect the perpetrators. They defend the perpetrators because they associate with them. And uh, if we look at the law enforcement and we uh, research law enforcement closely, we will understand that many of uh, the police officers are perpetrators and abusers themselves. And then it's easier for them to associate with perpetrators and not uh, act on uh, on the cases of gender-based violence and pressure uh, victims of, uh, of violence not to file complaints and not to follow up on these complaints. So uh, I think consequences for uh, such officials, uh, consequences for police officers for not acting on these cases uh, should be strict. And I think, of course, that we should criminalize, like return uh, the uh, some of the articles that were moved from the criminal code to administrative code back. And, and sometimes it's not about the harsh harshness of the punishment, but inevitability of this punishment. Uh, so when uh, the perpetrators, when abusers, they know that the government, the society will act on their behavior, uh, it will actually change the scene. And as of now, these people, they know that they can avoid any consequences, any punishment, and that's what leads to the levels, uh, huge levels of gender-based violence in Kazakhstan and in the whole Central Asian region. Hey, thank you. Janar, what needs to change in the law? Yeah, I actually, we have a, a pause that uh, lasting for three years three years, our parliament cannot accept the bill on domestic resistance to uh, domestic abuse and domestic violence. So (laughs) this fact can say a lot without even my comment. But what I suggest as an activist, as a woman, a human rights defender, is that we need also separate law. And I know uh, our deputy tomorrow, if they will know that I'm saying now, they will uh, sh- shout and, you know, uh, loudly be so angry. Why we multiply so many laws? If you do violence, it keep continue, not prosecuting, not investigating violence in regarding women and children, we have to have separate law. So everybody in Kazakhstan, everybody in Kazakhstan will understand that you will be punished. You will have great consequences. You can be in jail or your property will be confiscated, which I'm suggesting, or you publicly publicly will be shamed, you know. I'm also suggesting that you will lose all your state positions. I'm also suggesting that because today it's just administrative code. No, this is not how the... A case should be deal, dealt, you know. We have to have separate law. It is enough. We're shouting every year, it is enough. We need a law. We have a lot of lawyers. We have a lot of prosecutors. They can as- accept 
to work on separate law, to read it till the end, to understand it, to interpret it, and then prosecute the people who abuse women's rights and rights of children in Kazakhstan. Okay, thank you. Janar, I'm going to come right back to you because we're going to start with the second question, but I'll get, I want responses from everyone if possible. What needs to change in the way people of Kazakhstan think about violence against women? Yeah, well, this is a big educational work, actually, that should be start, uh, I mean, that should be starting from the kindergarten, uh, then from school, and then from colleges, and then from universities. We are not having that kind of classes or, you know, programs or facultatives, but we need them. We need to educate people. We need to speak, to have discussions on why violence is not accepted. Violence towards children, towards women, towards men, towards animals, towards LGBT, towards other groups that need protection. We need that discussion. This could be a class about humanity. I do not say this is a class about constitution of Kazakhstan, which sounds very boring. No, we can say it's about humanity. It's about dignity. It's about how to be a Kazakhstani person, how to be a real uh, human being in Kazakhstani land, what we would like to see from the human being. This is a very philosophical and very ideological context. I don't know. I do not need to be a patriot of my country. I do know. I do need to discuss why violence should not be accepted. So I, I really do not see how our state works in, in that direction. We do not see any classes, programs, lectures, seminars. They just, uh, you know, chilling. Chilling, selling gas and oil, having a lot of money, but not doing their work. And uh, yes, Svetlana was right. Uh, it is civil rights, human rights defenders, civil society, uh, activists, LGBTQI activists who are doing that work. And we are very tired because it's a, a lot of work. It's, uh, I don't know, huge work. And we need money for that, you know. So state with the power and money can do this educational work because it's actually state's aim, it's state's strategy, purpose to bring this education to the population of Kazakhstan. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, Halida, I'll go to, go to you next. What needs to change in the way people of, the people of Kazakhstan think about violence against women? You know, I believe right now uh, it is important uh, for the whole society in Kazakhstan to show their solidarity against all forms of violence against any person in the country. And I'm very happy to see that we have a few quite prominent activists uh, like Mr. Rahim Oshakbaev, an independent researcher, who started a campaign, Men Against Violence. And they started it a few days ago and they invited all, you know, men who have uh, a, a big audience who may be called uh, influencers. And all of them, they um, openly uh, denounced violence against uh, women, against children. And they actually, they also developed a plan of action until the end of 2024, uh, where they pledged and made a commitment that until uh, the, the end of next year, they will be taking particular steps and actions to stop violence against women. And I'm happy to see that, um, of course, apart from women, women have always been at the forefront, you know, but we see more and more men joining uh, this movement, uh, more and more men 
denouncing uh, domestic violence, gender-based violence, but also saying that we are not going to shake hands of our friends, of people whom we know who have been committing violence against their wives, against women, and so on. And I think uh, this is very important uh, to change um, the mentality of our population and to show that, indeed, uh, we should not tolerate uh, violence any longer. Okay, thank you. Um, Svetlana, question to you. What needs to change in the mentality in Kazakhstan to improve the situation? Yeah, exactly, because change is not possible with the existing mindset that it is... uh like violence against women is women's problem because it's not, it's the whole society's problem uh, because violence really affects everyone. It affects other members of the family, starting with children, other family members. Uh, it affects the community, uh, like smaller communities, and it affects people on a country level. And so th- this mindset that it's only the women's problem, it really should change. And uh, what Halida was talking about, that men are now showing more and more solidarity. And I have seen posts of many Kazakh bloggers uh, that tried uh, actually to address this issue uh, following up this uh, horrendous events. But I also seen the backlash on on their poor attempts actually to address the issue because they were addressing Women. They were addressing women and again mansplaining uh, what women should do not to get beaten or how to react to the beatings or how they should leave at the occasion of the beating and stuff like that. And they, uh, what they really need to do is that they should really re- reflect on their own behavior, on behavior of their friends, on the attitudes towards abusers, and they should start addressing these issues among themselves. I mean, address other f- your fellow men saying that this is, well, not cool to be t- uh, to hit women. And it's um, what we need to see is we need to see the uh, training of uh, law enforcement if we are not changing the law enforcement entirely, uh, as Janar uh, suggested, like uh, getting rid of all the old law enforcement and police uh, and bringing up new uh, blood, if we're not doing this, we at least uh, should have the training of them and of frontline service providers on how to actually work with uh, uh, victims. And yes, it's uh, it brings some optimism to see that people are starting to empathize with the issue. Uh, We see more solidarity now. And I think what solidarity is key here. And I think when we understand that uh, this is the whole society issue, uh, we will see the change. Because when half of the population is uh, living under constant threat of violence, what kind of of, uh, development uh, we foresee for the country? I, I don't see any way for the country to uh, to prosper if uh, half of the population doesn't feel safe. Okay, thank you. Um, we are like pretty much out of time, but this is a really important topic, and I'm afraid I might have missed something. So I'm going to give everyone one chance to to make uh, a last last statement if you want. Please try to keep it short if you can. Svetlana, I'll start with you. I would just have to thank you, Bruce, for keeping uh, the issue alive on uh, talking about this issue. And I would like to express my appreciation of what Halida is doing and Janar is doing and all the activists, uh, frontline activists in Kazakhstan are doing to uh, fight 
gender-based violence, uh, discrimination, and stereotypes in the country. This is it. Okay, thank you. Janar, uh, to you, anything that I missed that, that you think our audience should should understand? Yes, I think we should not forget the names of many women who are invisible and who are doing their work in regions of Kazakhstan. They cannot uh, sometimes uh, post uh, something in social media about their very important work, but it doesn't mean they are not existing in Shimkin, Taras, or Oral, or other cities of Kazakhstan. Uh, they work every day for keeping women's rights or uh, helping them with documents or uh, unfortunately to hide from abuser. This is really daily life, uh, everyday fight. So I think we even do not know their names, but they are there in the field. So we have to recognize that this labor is really very, we have to value them. We have to say that women, again, on the forefront of the fight uh, of the civil society with that problem, and never forget that this fight is still continuously going. And when we speak about this, oh, let's help women to, to fight with, with this issue, how men just recently started, I would like to tell them one thing. You cannot solve this issue just in three days while all women of Kazakhstan and women's rights activists who were brave, bold, who were fighting for that 30 years. Three days or 30 years? This is the difference. Thank you. Thank you. Halida, last word goes to you. Yes, thank you, Bruce. Indeed, this is a very important topic, and I'm very grateful to to, to your organization, to you personally, and also, and also to people around the globe for giving the support uh, to protecting uh, women from violence in Kazakhstan and Central Asia. And also would like to emphasize uh, one more important thing. We, on, we not only should support women in their fight against violence, and promote uh, and demand uh, better laws, but we also need to give our support to to women who are now persecuted by authorities in Kazakhstan, in Central Asia, for their work on uh, protecting other women from violence. Unfortunately, right now in Kazakhstan, our prominent human rights defender, Dinara Smailova, she has been under persecution uh, from the authorities exactly for her work, for her brave, bold work uh, when she was uh, uh, widely covering the issues of violence against women. Unfortunately, right now she has to seek asylum abroad and I would much appreciate also the support of the international community in supporting Dinara Smailova and I hope that she this, this this persecution against her by the authorities of Kazakhstan would stop. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, and we are at the end of the show. So thank you, Janar, Halida and Svetlana for being on the program. Uh, big thanks, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjlis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjlis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.